Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, time now for Football and Force, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast and brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now, they'll match your first deposit up to $250 as we take you through what is going on around the Philadelphia Eagles on Football at Four. Rob Motti, who covers the Eagles for the Associated Press. Long time he's been around this team, this quarterback, this coach, this organization, and he has a great piece right now around this team that says the troubles of this team, it's not just the coach or the quarterback. Well, Rob, I think a lot of fans out there want to pick one or the other. They want to pick either the coach or the quarterback. It can't be other things that are a problem with this team, can it? Hey, Mike, what's up, man? Yeah, you know what? It's the easy thing to do, right? It's the, the most easiest thing to do is to sit back and go, we'll get rid of the coach, get rid of the quarterback. And that's all like surface, you know, surface level analysis. But you got to look deeper into it. And it, it's su- such a tough thing to do when you analyze or you look at a quarterback and you go, yeah, he's, he's not making throws. He's making bad decisions. His, his timing looks off. His mechanics look like this. But also, any particular play, any particular throw, there's so many components going out there. We don't know the route schemes. We don't know the protection. We don't know what's going on. So there's a lot of issues with this football team. And, and Mike, I think you got to start at the top with Howie Roseman. I know we've probably beaten this over uh, to death with D.K. Metcalf over J.J. Ortega-Whiteside and Justin Jefferson uh, being not drafted and taking Jalen Rieger. You look at this team and this offense, if you had Jefferson and D.K. Metcalf, it's a different story. And that's not to say that Jalen Rieger might not develop. He might. But we know J.J. Ortega-Whiteside isn't going to get the job done at all in an Eagles uniform. All right, so I have no problem blaming Howie Roseman. Here's the problem (laughs) I have, though, because I kind of defended Roseman to some extent and said, do I know, do we know that Roseman is – has autonomy to pick who he wants to pick? Has he run the drafts? I feel like a lot of people gave Joe Douglas a lot of credit. Well, the Joe Douglas years, the draft did not yield very much, so we want to blame Roseman for that, but with the picks that we like, we gave Douglas credit. Before that, it was kind of Chip Kelly, and then it was kind of Roseman in the middle there, and then Andy. It seemed like Andy was running the draft, so how much autonomy does Roseman really have on draft day? That's the million-dollar question. And I don't think anyone really knows fully except Howie and everyone else in that room with him. Because as you pointed out, that's an excellent defense for Howie Roseman. And then you just look back and go, they won a Super Bowl in 2017. So that's bought him a lot of credibility within the organization. We don't know. You're right. And when, and when you look at Joe Douglas's drafts, those, he was, and he was still here last year in 2019. He yes. didn't take the Jets job until a month or two later. So he still presided over the J.J. Arcega-Whiteside draft. And I don't know which guy was in there beating on the door, banging on the table, saying, I want this guy over that guy. Now, ultimately, Howie's job title his responsibility as executive vice president of football operations and a general manager is that he has final say. How much say or how much input do other guys have 
the scouting department, whose advice is he taking when he puts that final decision together? I don't know, but those guys have to be held responsible if they're the ones giving him misinformation or bad information. And, of course, we know drafts are a crapshoot. It's hard to decide, but there's been a lot of misses, and that's why when you look at this team and you go, how are they set up for the future, you don't have a lot of players that you drafted that are going to be playing on rookie contracts they're going to be contributing, starting, and, and being significant key members of this team. And that's why they're going to be in a cat nightmare next year. Uh, and, and you look at the future and you go, well, there's, there's way more questions right now. And they have answers, and that's not a good thing. Yeah, Rob Motti covers the Eagles for the Associated Press. He's been around this team a long time. We'll get into some interesting – yeah, the Roseman stuff. Like, Look, I have no problem blaming Roseman if he's the guy. If you said he took J.J., if he's the guy who took Derek Barnett and he traded for – I don't have a problem saying, all right, you were the decision maker. You're at fault because you're right. This team has had a lot of issues on – draft day but i'll ask this question too because if you and i don't know how much stock we put into you know the sporting news or espn or nfl.com when they rank yearly their general managers and roseman is constantly in the top five it seems that he is well regarded around the league in that role he is and you know i do a lot of national stuff i cover the nfl nationally for ap and when i speak to colleagues or i speak to people around the league they really do and this goes back to andy they have always held this organization at a higher standard or a higher level and and viewed them in a better light than we do locally And, and i think part of that has to do also mike consider like relationally right jeffrey lurie is one of he's he's a guy who is become he's available he makes himself available to national media he has same with Howie Roseman. Andy Reid always had a good relationship. And sometimes that bias creeps into these rankings and these ratings because, hey, that's a good dude. He's a good guy. He's available. He talks to me. He gives me information. So I'm not saying that's the only criteria, but I know that there's a little bit of bias sometimes into that. And of course, we always are more critical, and especially in Philadelphia and surrounding areas over the teams we cover and the teams locally, but we also know more. And, and that's why sometimes, you know, when you're watching a football game, you're watching an Eagles game, and, and you, whoever the analyst is or whoever the play-by-play guy is, and they'll give out some information, and you go, yeah, but that's not you – know, I, I forget who it was earlier this year was saying that uh, – which offensive line? Jordan Maylotta in training camp who was struggling. In training camp he was struggling to the point where I could have never envisioned he would be as – productive or somebody who now factors into the future but someone nationally said Jordan Maylot is having a terrific camp an excellent camp and all of us the local guys the local beat writers are like but wait a minute where are you getting that information from because he's had a terrible camp at this point so I think sometimes you got to take that with a grain of salt uh it, it's he's done a great job to win a Super Bowl I'm, I'm not going to say and I'm not ready to fire Howie I'm not ready to fire Doug Peterson I think they've bought themselves with a Super Bowl with two consecutive playoff appearances and potentially, as ugly as it may be this year, potentially a third division title in four years. They've bought themselves an extra year, but Jeffrey Lurie's got to come in and say, hey, we got some issues. We can't allow this to be fool's gold. How do we fix it? Whether it's bringing in an offensive coordinator call plays, bringing in a football guy, we hear that term all the time, Chip Kelly used it, to help Howie, whatever it may be, 
they can't continue on this path. When looking at this front office and tying it to Doug Peterson, do you think Doug has a lack of power for being a head coach? You look at Jason Peters and that whole debacle, benching Wentz, does he have the power to do it? Does he not? The assistant coaches being hired once he said Mike Rowe was going to come back. Do you look at that scenario and, and feel concerned? Hunter, I've said this for a while, and I've said it on, on the air, that uh, I feel Doug Peterson for a Super Bowl-winning coach does not use that power, that authority, and make demands the way. Now, he doesn't have Bill Belichick's resume. He hasn't won six Super Bowls. He can't sit there and tell Howie, I want this, this, that, and the other. But he's won a Super Bowl. He's earned the right to have more of a say than I believe he does. So when it comes to decisions like this week, Jason Peters and Alshon Jeffrey, there is absolutely no reason why those two players should be starting or playing or getting significant snap time. Now, Alshon only had five the other day, five snaps. One of them he turned into an interception because he missed time to jump. It was almost as if he was sabotaging Carson intentionally on the field as opposed to anonymous sources and other things that we know he's been linked to in the past. Doug Peterson's got to say, John Hightower needs those snaps. He needs those reps. Howie, it was a terrible contract you gave him. You're going to have to bite the bullet. Cut this guy. Addition by subtraction. Jason Peters, the organizational loyalty to Jason Peters is unlike anything I've seen in 21 years covering the AP, for, the, for the AP. I've never seen anything like it. I, this guy has so much say, so much power. He dictates which position he plays. He dictates what he, when he wants to practice. He dictates when he comes out of a game. He's got to be benched. He's got to be benched. And that's where Doug Peterson, as you're saying, does not have enough say. And for a guy who's won a Super Bowl, that's astounding to me. It really is. Rob Motti covers the Eagles for the Associated Press. Great stuff uh, as we look at football at four and some of the problems uh, this team is going through right now. You know, we a lot of people want to say Roseman's the problem, bad drafts. Um, and then, of course, people want to say Doug is the problem, that he is not doing a good enough job with this particular team. Um, I'm kind of in the boat that, look, I think Doug can do a better job with what he's done with Carson. There's no question I think he can get him rolling out. He can do more stuff to help Carson. But I also feel that if Carson was playing at the level he has played at in his past, that Doug's not looking as – we're not questioning him as much as we are currently. They kind of go hand-in-hand hand here, but I think a lot of it stems from the fact that the quarterback is just simply not playing at the level we're used to, so it's making – everything looked bad for uh, and you're right he's got to play better Carson Wentz has to play better he knows it he hasn't he's been struggling all year long and I've been called the Carson Wentz apologist to the point where it's it's you know it's getting old but <laughs> here's the thing when you look at Doug Peterson and you look at his play calling ability I don't think it just started this year, Mike. I don't think this is only this year has been the problem. I think this has been a continual thing. And I was so opposed to putting all the credit on Frank Reich until Nick Foles about a month or so ago comes out. And I know it was a conversation or an interview where he was asked about Frank Reich, but he says he was really, he was the guy who unlocked me. And then you start to think, well, Frank Reich really had a lot of influence over Doug Peterson and the offense clicked like we haven't seen it again since 2017. So since his departure, 
Doug Peterson's offense has not been anything close to that. So the accumulation of 18, 19, and 20 makes me want to put more of it on Peterson. Now, that's not to absolve Carson at all. He's got to make better decisions. He's got to get rid of the football. He can't play hero football all the time. However, this team isn't built to win with Carson as a game manager. We saw that two weeks ago against the, the Giants. They lost that game. He didn't turn the ball over. He was a game manager. He's not Trent Dilfer with the 2001-2000 Baltimore Ravens. This team isn't good enough. He has to be a gunslinger. He has to play more like Brett Favre than he does anyone else who's a game match for them to be able to win the game because of the what he's got around him, the revolving door at offensive line, the lack of protection the receivers who continually don't run the right routes, who aren't in the proper place, but they're young, they're learning. These are growing pains that they're going to have to go through. And that's why I've been opposed to any thought or any idea of Carson being benched for Jalen Hurts. You have the luxury this year at 3-6-1 and one, to be in contention. you got to use these final six weeks to work things out with your franchise quarterback and still have an opportunity to win a division and allow them to grow with these young receivers, build that chemistry, and see what, what they can do to turn it around. Now, of course, you go back to Doug, the play calling, not running the ball enough, all that stuff. you got to put that a little bit on him. Yeah, no doubt. I, I seem to lean the way that you feel about it. Do you think that Doug should maybe take a step back with play calling, maybe Rich Gangarello being in the mix? The way I brought this up earlier, it's almost like if you continue to go down this road, you're just putting Brandon Workman out on the bump every single game. <laughs> That's a great analogy, man. Like Brandon Workman, from the second I saw him throw a hanging curveball, well, he's not a closer. Not a closer, but no, you're right, and I don't, I don't believe Doug's going to do that on his. He's not going to pull a Matt Nagy, who this couple weeks ago decided, all right, I'm not going to call the plays for the Bears. Didn't work out anyway. They're limited in their offense. Nick Foles is what he is. Somebody's got to step in, and that person's got to be Jeffrey Lurie and say, hey, Doug, you know what? You're a great leader of men. You coach this football team. You have input on what you want offensively. Someone else has to come in here and determine the game plan, help you with the game plan, help you with the play calling, because it is not working out. And we invested so much money into a franchise quarterback. And because of the salary cap and because of dead money, who is more, uh, who could they get rid of, right? Who's more expendable? That's the coach. So if the coach is going to want to keep his job, he's got to listen to what the, the owner tells him to do. And, and I think it's, it's incumbent upon Jeffrey Lurie to step in and say at some point. And if Doug's not willing to do that now, that's where you, you pull you pull the reins, man. You give it to Rich Scangarilla. They got Marty Mornwig in here. They got Preston. They got all these offensive minds. But I think there's maybe too many voices in there. And there might be too many voices in Carson's ear. And that might be part of the problem, too, as well. Well, it seems that that's a theme in the whole organization, Rob, is that there's too many voices everywhere, too many uh, <laughs> offensive minds, too many quarterbacks in the room, too many people on draft day, too many people saying, pick this guy, pick that guy, pick this guy, take that guy. It seems that they have a philosophy of more is better. Yeah, they, they need to do somehow figure out an organizational structure like the Sixers finally just got it right. You don't, you don't have to look too far for an example. You look across the street. Now you got Daryl Morey in there, and he's, he's, he's got final say. He's making the calls. They got an organizational structure where you got somebody who's held accountable, 
And sometimes when you have too many voices and you try to appease too many people and you got too many guys pulling you in different directions and there's different agendas and not everyone's on the same page, things like this happen. They got to figure it out because this team is not set up well for the future. And, and that's a that's a crazy thought when you think in 2017 they won the Super Bowl and, and they had a young quarterback who two years later they give all that money to and they look like they're built for sustained success. It ain't looking that way right now. Right now, Rob, here's another thing that I don't know that's brought up a whole heck of a lot with what's going on because it's not sexy, but over the last over the Wentz tenure, they have not had a lot of offensive line issues. In fact, they've had one of the more stable and successful offensive lines in the league, but we have plenty of examples around the league of when your line stinks, so too does your team for the most part. How much is the are the Eagles getting a dose of, hey, have fun with an offensive line problem that we've all gone through? When I say we, I'm talking about Minnesota, the Giants, Seattle. I mean, these teams have all had offensive line issues. The Eagles have not had massive offensive line problems in the Wentz era. They are now having them. Yeah, you're right. They've had stability. They've had a three-time Pro Bowl right guard in Brandon Brooks and a three-time Pro Bowl right tackle and Lane Johnson start every year and, and a three-time All-Pro and Jason Kelsey, and they've had that stability. And now this year, 12 different guys have played offensive line, 10 different guys have started, four guys who had never started a game in their life uh, before that. So it, it, it's, such a big, it's such a big factor because you just look at the Browns game and, and people will go, well, how did he take that safety? Somebody, you know, it's so easy to sit back and take a still shot of the field and go, this guy's open. Well, you don't, again, you don't know what the routes are supposed to be, what the protection scheme is going to be, and, and the guy's trying to make a play. He took a sack because Jason Peters got beat one more time. This offensive line has been a nightmare, and I think Carson could do this every week, go out there and pull Tom Brady and just throw the ball uh, in the ground every time. He could go like two for 28 every week with 26 incompletions because he threw the ball away because he didn't have enough time. and It's hurting him. And it, this is a big-time issue for them right now. The, the good thing is, or the encouraging thing is, the most positive aspect, I think, for this team this year is coming out of it knowing that in Jack Driscoll and in Jordan Maylotta, you may have two guys who could be pieces for the future on that offensive line. And that's one of the brightest positives that I can look at for this team in 2020. Thinking about other possible pieces of the future, Travis Fulgham. Now, he started out red hot. It was awesome. It was electric. Last couple of games, not so much. Now, is it ironic that Alshon Jeffrey came back and now this is happening? Well, you look at the snap count, and it wouldn't really say that that would be a, a major issue. What have you seen over the last couple of weeks to show why Travis Fulgham isn't on the stat sheet the same way? Man, I'm concerned that Travis Fulgham the past two weeks has shown you who he is, and that is a sixth-round pick who's been cut three times already in a year and a half. I'm really concerned about that because now that teams know his tendencies, now that they've seen him on tape, now that they've seen him on film, to have two catches on, I believe it's 12 targets. I might be off by a couple there. He's, he's not making the contested catches that he made earlier this season. Sometimes he's not where he's supposed to be. And my concern is, after four or five games, we were all ready to anoint him a wide receiver one and a pro bowler. And he just might be showing you who he is 
and why he was picked where he was. Now, and, and Doug Peterson, to his credit, he usually only is critical of Carson. And I get that because he's the quarterback, he's the veteran, he can handle it, he can take it. Yesterday, he actually said, yeah, I need to see more. He's got to improve. Travis Fulgham needs to get better. He really does. And I think these next six games will uh, tell you a lot about Travis Fulgham and his future. And, uh, Mike, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the Bobby Hoying references, and that's my concern, is, is Travis Fulgham's four- or five-game stretch like Bobby Hoying was in the late 90s. Well, it's funny you mentioned Bobby Hoying. I was telling a story that I've been told a bunch of times from people who played with Hoying. It was that when Gruden was here, he would tell Hoying, hey, three steps, that guy's going to be open, throw him the ball. Gruden leaves, Dana Bible steps in, that guy's not telling Hoying the same thing, and you find out that you don't really have the quarterback you thought you had, and you wonder if, see, that's the problem. Reich has been gone, and Wentz has still been successful even without Frank being here. Like, his numbers, that's one thing I'm having a big problem with, Rob, is Carson's numbers last year, the year before, and even in the year that he may have won that MVP had he not got hurt, there's been a lot of consistency in his numbers. You know, only seven interceptions, the completion percentage way up over, not way up over, but in the 60s. And now all of a sudden, the one constant, Peterson's a constant, Wentz is a constant. The one constant that's different from the three previous years is completion percentage and the turnovers. And that's where I'm a little concerned. Yeah, and I, I agree wholeheartedly that that's an issue. That's a problem. And what I try to do is go, could a guy who was number three in NFL MVP voting in 2017 and came back in 2018 and statistically had a higher passer rating than he did even in 17, and then in 19, he becomes the first quarterback in NFL history with 4,000 yards and no receiver over 500 yards receiving and, and does all what he did the final four games. Could this guy all of a sudden be gone? Could he be lost? Is, is that Carson Wentz a mirage and this is who he is? And I, I say, no way. So there's got to be a reason. There's got to be an explanation. And it's not that all of a sudden he stinks, but they have to figure it out. They got to figure out what is that problem. So you look at the combination of the revolving door at the offensive line, the young receivers, and here's the key thing. He doesn't have Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard for a significant chunk this year. And we know Zach Ertz, even when he was playing earlier in the year, wasn't having the type of season we're used to. But Carson and his tight end, that, those are his guys. They're, those are his go-to guys. So all of those factors, add those all up, I think, are contributing to what we're seeing now. And it's not this incredible steep decline to where a once-promising quarterback is done and finished. It's a, a, a bump on the road and now you have to figure out okay how do we get him back there what do we have to do we got to surround him with the right talent and we have to get a play caller in here who gets him who works with him who knows what his strengths are and his weaknesses and caters to his strengths I mean we talk about this all the time and you mentioned it earlier the rollout roll the guy out it works when they roll him out why aren't you doing that seven, eight times a game. Why is Baker Mayfield bootlegging and Carson Wentz isn't? What's going on there? I don't understand that. And and, and that's got to be all of these factors. I put them together, Mike, and I go, I, I can't give up on a kid. I just can't. Uh, Rob Motti covers the uh, Eagles and the NFL for the Associated Press. Uh, good stuff here. Uh, check out 
uh, Rob on Twitter. And, of course, um, the Eagles season has been a dumpster fire, but that doesn't diminish that Thanksgiving's here, and we want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving, Rob. Thanks for jumping on. Hey, I appreciate it, guys. You have a great one, man. You do the same. And he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. He uh, pinched it there on today's Football at Four, which is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Drops Wednesday at 6 a.m., Friday, 6 a.m. And, of course, it is brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. Well, Rob, who's been around the team for a while, still can't tell us who's making these draft picks. (laughs) I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question. And that's a problem. Well, if you want to play the blame game, that's a big problem because you can't definitively point the finger at anyone if you don't really have the information. Well, it's also not just about the blame, but just the result game. Like, I do want to know who, and I'm basing this off the results because there are some ugly ones, there are some good ones. Like, I, I feel it's more of the result game than the blame game. I'm not looking, like, I don't want to blame people. I want to appreciate people. I want people to succeed. So it's not like I'm rooting for failure just so I can blame. But I would like to know so I can give you some appreciation when you do well. How about that? Yeah. Well, Rob does a great job. We have to uh, talk to Rob more often the rest of the way here. And, of course, he, like all guests, appear to be the boardwalk on the hotline. When we come back, though, the professor, John Clayton, will get his thoughts on this Eagles team. They got the Seahawks this week. He knows them well and what he thinks about the NFL after another week in the books. This is the radio home for Philadelphia Eagles football. Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, John Clayton, the professor, going to join us to talk a little NFL. Washington Post, check out his latest column on the NFL playoff races. He says, these five contenders have the most reasons to worry. I would doubt that uh, the Eagles are included as a contender and have to worry, but they've got other worries, as we've talked a lot about throughout the course of this year. But it's like this chicken or egg theory. Is it the coach? Is it the quarterback? Is it Howie Roseman? Why are the Eagles a team that many people thought would be a contender? What's the fatal flaw that they have and others as we are now done 11 weeks? You know, John Clayton, who's a great follow for all you NFL fans out there on a Sunday, and he tweeted out, just simple, Carson Wentz was looking bad, but he's getting worse. And that was an eye-opener because – yeah, John, you're right. He is getting worse. And are we at the point now where he's getting worse is supposed to be a major form of concern here? I think you have to be because, I mean, here's a $32 million quarterback. And since the Super Bowl, uh, which, of course, unfortunately, he was not able to play. I mean, what he has a losing record. And now you look at the numbers and they're coming down each week. Now, again, there's a lot more than just Carson Wentz, as we've talked about before, but now it's at the stage where it's like he's so affected by it, he's not performing at any kind of a good level. I mean, you can see the mistakes, you can see the bad throws, you can see the bad decisions, you can see the turnovers. I mean, 12 interceptions, five fumbles, 35 times he's been sacked. Now, again, you know, the sacks, I think, are a byproduct of the offensive line injuries and you know Jason Peters not and by the way is Jason going to start this week or is like because <laughs> I guess the feeling because he, he's really been bad but overall it's a mess sure is and uh, we know the contract situation for Carson I mean they're going to take a major major hit if they were to get out of that so it looks like this is a marriage that they're kind of stuck in for a while 
Yeah, it's, it's although I guess in some ways, you know, like it's a Jimmy Garoppolo situation, but there seems to be growing sentiment that uh, they may just take the hit and move on or do something because, uh, you know, Jimmy's missed so much time with injuries and he's got the high ankle sprain and he hasn't done well and their season's in the tank right now. And so, uh, you know, there's with the cap going, and again, Eagles are in much worse shape than the 49ers because what is it? I have to get my updated numbers right now, but 81 to $91 million over next year's cap. Now, Howie Roseman is one of the best in the game as far as, you know, making the cap work, but there's going to be so many casualties on this roster. And again, it's one of the oldest rosters in the NFL. I mean, what is it, like 27-8 or something like that, or 27-5? And so there's going to be a lot of change. But now, do you include Carson in that change? And, you know, I, you would have to think it's not a real thought, but maybe it is. Now, John, you just said something that perks up our ears here in the Delaware Valley. You said Howie Roseman is one of the best in the game when it comes to working the cap. Many people here feel that Roseman has been a problem on draft day. I think if you know the organization, though, it's a little muddy in that room on who makes those picks. So how is Roseman? Is he viewed as just a cap guy? Is he viewed as a talent evaluator? Does he run the draft for the Eagles? Or 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 are the Eagles a mystery on who does what when it comes to the front office? Yeah, I think you have to say it's a mystery because, I mean, Howie being the numbers guy, I mean, he's more into the numbers than he is with the eye on scouting. And But the course is, I mean, you know, he's run the office, and so it's a matter that as long as he has the right uh, people under him as scouting, you know, helping give him – the idea is like, okay, here's what we should do, and they do it. But then, I mean, you look at the drafts, and, uh, you know, you have to kind of say there's some big question marks right now. And particularly, I mean, you look at the wide receiver drafts over the last couple of years, and, you know, with the white side uh, uh, draft, I mean, you have to say that uh, that didn't go well because look at all the second-round uh, success stories, DK Metcalf included, and then you go up and down that second round and see how good that round turned out to be. And, you know, white side, uh, you know, his, his – just didn't do it last year, and now he can be a healthy scratch as an inactive, and so that's got to be a little bit scary. We've been going back and forth about Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz, who is at fault more, even though we both acknowledge they have been doing terrible as a duo, but how do you view Doug Peterson's impact on Carson Wentz's struggles, and do you think it's possible that a change of play calling could make a big difference? No, I don't. I mean, it's a, I, I would say if there's a change in play calling, it would be the same result as the Chicago Bears when Matt Nagy gave it over to Bill Lazor. And you see, they didn't have a running game. They didn't have uh, anything more than Allen Robinson, you know, Jimmy Graham's old, the offensive line. And that's really, I think, one of the big things right now to look at you know, when you're looking at a lot of these teams that are struggling on offense. Where are they on the offensive line? I mean, you saw the problems in Dallas when they were down four starters. You've seen it each week with as many as four starters down with the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, you saw it uh, in Chicago with their injured and battered offensive line, and that plays it. And so, you know, if you have – and again, I mean, you know, Sanders has done a pretty good job, I think, as a running back, but you know, he's certainly not up to the Pro Bowl standards that you'd like to have. But when you don't have the running game consistently, you have offensive line issues like they have, 
Uh, you feel bad for Lane Johnson. I mean, he's been fighting that ankle injury all season long. But again, you throw that in, and of course, the sacks keep going up, and then you know uh, Carson Wentz keeps going down. So I think a change in play calling is not going to change it because it's not going to. I mean, a change in health would change it. John Clayton, the Washington Post, he's got uh, five contenders that have flaws. Eagles are one of those, by the way. They do lead the division, like it or not. But there's some other interesting teams that um, are on this list that. You know, the Ravens, I feel like uh, entering the year, and now all of a sudden you entered the year thinking this is another Super Bowl contender. Have they dropped out of that Super Bowl contender conversation? No, and I think they definitely have because, I mean, here they are on Thanksgiving in Pittsburgh. If the game does go off, I would assume it's still going to go on. But it's like, uh, you know, they, they go to Pittsburgh, and they don't have anybody in the backfield because Mark Ingram and uh, – yeah, J.K. Dobbins are uh, on the COVID list. You know, they don't have mo- most likely Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams without those two. They can't stop the run. So in each of the last two games, they've given up 173 yards rushing. And then, of course, their rushing numbers are down. Now they don't have running backs to be able to do anything. I mean, yeah, it looks like Lamar Jackson has been figured out a little bit. You know, they have offensive line issues. And so it's very likely that they'll lose that game, be eliminated from the division title, and be in bad shape to try to make the playoffs, particularly you know, with an AFC that has so many six- and seven-win teams. How about the Miami Dolphins? Pretty interesting what they did last week. You have Tua, who they're committed to for the next week, but with the two-minute drill, they're like, hey, let's go to the veteran. Yeah, I think that that's why I put – I mean, it was, I was debating on that because, you know, I think the fatal flaw right now can be Tua because if he plays like he did in this past game and then gets benched, then all of a sudden things start sliding away. Now, again, they're in the easy portion of their schedule right now, but, and that's why it's vital that they win the games against the easy teams. But you saw how bad it was uh, with a 2013 loss to Denver. That didn't go very well, and he played terrible. Only threw for 83 yards. And if that holds them back, particularly as bad as they are stopping the run, then all of a sudden they'll fail that. But again, the great thing for Brian Flores, nobody thought they'd be in a position to be talking playoffs. At least they're talking playoffs. But right now, they have to, because once they get past the next two games and eight and four, their schedule really gets tough. And then, you know, they're going to be lucky to get the nine wins. You wonder if uh, they're watching what's going on and saying, huh, there was another quarterback that possibly we could have got our hands on, and maybe that's their biggest flaw is that they took the wrong guy. Mm, I don't know about that because, again, you look at what Tua was able to do the past two weeks. I mean, you know, an incredible comeback victory two weeks ago, You know, the great performance that he had against Justin Herbert. I mean, he outperformed Justin Herbert in his third game, and Justin's right now probably moved into the leading category for rookie of the year because so, all he does each week is throw for 300 yards. And then, of course, they can't, they can't hold on to leads until they lose the games. But overall, I think that, uh, you know, I think it's just sometimes it's tough this rookie year you know, with four starts and that to kind of make a judgment. But he did well for two, so you can see the potential and the talents there. It's just a matter of the consistency. All right, uh, another team, by the way. So Miami is a fun team to watch. And then on the NFC side, you got Arizona. Uh, but – there's uh, starting to be a little, you know, you looking at something out there that maybe uh, they might fizzle out here. Yeah, the, the problem is, obvi- obviously, they're great on offense with Kyler Murray. <clears throat> although a little bit of a concern because he got battered in the game against Seattle on Thursday night a week ago to a point where he's got an AC joint sprain. And, I mean, he had the, it struggled with his passing, and you could see the pain he was in. He was wincing when he would come off to the sidelines. And then, uh, you know, what their big thing is their defensive line. Because it's it's a zero. I mean, they, I mean, you can't even name. I mean, other Josh Morrow 
is probably the biggest name. Uh, Angelo Blackson. I mean, have you seen him in his great days in Houston? And so, uh, you know, they may get Zach Allen back here in the next week or two. That'll help. But the fact that they lost uh, Jacob Phillips, a $10 million defensive lineman, Corey Peters was their best defensive lineman and their best run stopper. And so now they can't stop the run. And that could be something that will pull them down, particularly when they have the two games coming up against the Los Angeles Rams. John Clayton, the Washington Post. The NFL season continues to roll on, thankfully. We'll see what happens uh, throughout the rest of the season. Of course, the Eagles will be uh, hosting the Seattle Seahawks, a team that you know well, on Monday night. And I guess these two teams seem like they've matched up a bunch in recent years. Seahawks seemingly always get the better of them. We've talked over the last couple of weeks that the Seahawks' defense uh, had been a major problem, but uh, they seem to have at least tightened it up for the time being. Yeah, they got better certainly in the Arizona game, and it's been getting a little bit better each week. They still have the major problems in the secondary, but the biggest thing for them is having that ten game, eleven, I guess eleven game, eleven day gap as far as uh, going out and you know getting a little bit of a rest because now they should get Shaquille Griffin, their best cornerback, out there. So they won't. Uh, they'll be able to get Chris Carson back. I know he was on the practice field today taking snaps with Russell Wilson. So now the running game comes back. Car- Carlos Dunlap has been fantastic. Three and a half sacks in three games. Now, you know, uh, and Clowney, of course, out here, it's like, you, you know what it's like in South Philly or South Jersey. It's like, okay, there's always one mantra. If you don't get that thing done, then everybody thinks you're going to lose. Well, here it's like and Clowney or bust. And Jebbian's a real good player, played well last year, but he only had three sacks on a team that had 28 sacks. So now Dunlap has three and a half sacks in three games. That's now more than Jadevian Clowney's had in the last two years because right now he's on injured reserve with no sacks. John, it's always a pleasure, man. We wish you a happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we always appreciate you jumping on board. Eagles, Seahawks, by the way, Monday night. And, of course, you can hear that game on 97.3 ESPN. And John Clayton, like all guys, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. John, happy Thanksgiving, pal. Hey, happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Great stuff, as always, from the Professor John Clayton right here from the Washington Post on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. So, uh, you know, this NFL season, he mentioned a couple of my teams in there, Miami, Arizona, as teams that might kind of fade out a little bit. I don't like that. I know you don't like that. We'll That's find out if I think they're going to make the playoffs tonight. And who's in, who's out. Yeah, it would have been interesting with the if the Raiders were able to pull off that one against Kansas City, how you would feel about the Dolphins for that playoff spot. Well, the Browns won. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. But could they just take over the Ravens and those two just flip-flop? He mentioned the Ravens. Doesn't have them in his Super Bowl contender list. Let's just say that. John Clayton, Sports Bass, brought to you by Recovery Centers of America. With Drug and Alcohol Addiction Treatment Centers located in Mays Landing, New Jersey, and in Devon, PA. Mike Gill, at Mike Gill Show on Twitter. Hunter Brody, at Broads81. You out there. Plenty more to get into as we get you ready for the Eagles and Seahawks. And I got some news with the Sixers. Coming up next, right here on 97.3 ESPN. Turn it on. Leave it on. The Sports Bash on 97.3 ESP. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right, uh, thanks to John Clayton. What a treat he's been on all season long. The Professor... We'll talk to him uh, hopefully next week as we get ready 
the Eagles take on the Seahawks. Maybe we can uh, have him. I'm off Friday and Monday. You guys can do whatever the hell you want. I don't we care. can do whatever. <laughs> Can't wait for that. I mean, Josh will be uh, finding whoever he wants for you guys on uh, Seahawks outside view. I got low foot the Tupa for tomorrow, though. That's going to be fun. Yeah, it's exciting. Josh and I will have He a was good a time. hell of a player, man. Yes, he was. I was just thinking about. Not Josh. Josh no, no, no. I was thinking about Josh and I. You know, it's kind of like when yeah. you have that substitute teacher. That's right. going to be that vibe well, when you're not here. It's, it's a funny, great like, feeling. Even when, like, when I'm not here, I try to help out in terms of booking some oh, guests. Definitely. So I might have some pretty good guests for you guys on Monday. All right, we'll see what we can do. I might have we'll a double banger for you Whoa, Monday. A double bang? Yeah. It's like three cups of coffee in one city. Bang, so, bang, bang. Right, so John Clayton, who's out in Seattle, 710 ESPN. He's covered the Seahawks for a while. I don't know. Josh can figure out what he wants to do for that, but um, the game is on Monday night. For don't forget, so we're preview previewing you into the game. Correct. That'll be fun. But you know who's calling the game on Monday Night Football for uh, Westwood One Radio? Josh. Josh. Wow. Love to hear his perspective on the QB uh, coach dynamic. Okay. So I made some calls. All right. Even though I won't be here, you're a good boss. The best boss. You know who else I've reached out to? You know who's, who's calling the game? Who's that? My guy. Who's your guy? Kevin Harlan. Huh. There's a good chance Kevin Harlan's going to be on, and I'm not going to be here, and that's going to piss me off. Good. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. I love it. You know what else is awesome? Making a ton of money. And you can make a ton of money, by the way, betting on this Baltimore-Pittsburgh game. And you can double your money if either of them score a touchdown. That's all it takes. Also, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering all new players a deposit bonus up to $1,000. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code 973 when you sign up. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, uh... Let's do a little Ask Mike and Bros. We got some questions that have been coming in all day. All right, got let's to get to it. Uh, Ask Mike and Bros. College basketball starts tomorrow night. Interested or waiting for NBA? Hmm. I mean, basketball is. I mean, I don't. Basketball is did, the greatest. By the way, did he not hear BMOC right. on today? I know that's. I listened to the like he wasn't paying attention. I listened to the big man on basketball pod today. I am I love college basketball. I love college basketball. I find it more entertaining, but I'm not as emotionally tied. But I mean, I'm I'm waiting for any sort of basketball to hit the court, any sort of basketball. Yeah, now the college basketball is off to a rough start already. Yeah, see, I feel because I can't get connected to college football based off of how weird it is with COVID. I think I'm going to have the same issue with college basketball. I love the tournament. It's my favorite thing is the NCAA tournament. But, I mean, they're doing it this year in, like, one bubble in Indiana. The whole thing's going to be there. I don't know, man. I hope that it gets off the ground. I just don't feel it's going to be the same. College basketball is great. Why? The crowd, the student section. I mean, more so than the even college football. Yeah, the atmosphere. Those, man, I used to go to those West Virginia games. Buckled. Oh, no, that's not that's not what you're going to say? <laughs> yeah. I <guess> okay. so. <laughs> no, I, I mean, so it was funny. I was listening to the big man on basketball's pod today, and they were doing, like, this whole introduction. And I wanted to hear, like, what got him so into college basketball? 
And my defining college basketball moment is West Virginia. See, when I go to West Virginia, they had just entered the Big East. And now we're talking about the Big East, like the real Big East, not this half-ass one that we have now. I'm talking Allen Iverson. You know, I'm going to a game. Allen Iverson's playing for Georgetown with Victor Page and Ruben Boomshay Boomshay. West Virginia's up 20 with about six minutes left in the game. And wouldn't Allen Iverson bring Georgetown back and just you're watching this guy and you're like, at that moment, I was like, dude, I just love this. So West Virginia is playing UConn. UConn's number six in the country. We haven't won a Big East game all year. Now, the next they smoke us, and I'm like, man, I just want to get to that level where that game is something. The next year. We're playing UConn in West Virginia. I'm front row. And West Virginia wins the game. We storm the court, going bonkers. You see ESPN, me and my buddies are on the TV screen. I said, man, I love this. That's why I picked West Virginia. I'm jealous. I'm jealous that you had that experience. I never had that experience when it comes to college sports caring that much. Well, it's one of the reasons why, you know, like I played baseball, I, you know, I probably could have played in – no, I played West Virginia, got hurt, probably was never going to do anything, you know. But could have gone to, like, some smaller school and probably continued to play. But I made a conscious effort to say, no, I want to be a place where football and basketball are a huge part of my college experience. Well, I'll tell you this. I played NCAA college hockey, and I went to a smaller school because I wanted to do that, but – I always did question, you know what, if I knocked it down a level, and let's say I went to a different level, not NCAA, but it was a bigger, better school, I go back and forth still to this day. Was it the right decision? Was it not? I missed that part of the college experience because I went to that smaller school just for the athletics. All right, we're going to talk to the PT. He's a Temple alum. Temple tough, baby.